Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Her. Today we're going to talk about a really important topic that I think is applicable to most women, and it's about assessing risk for breast cancer. And today we actually have a guest here in studio with us, uh, Katie Ziegler, who's a board-certified genetic counselor. So thanks for joining us, actually, in person. I know. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. So can you just tell us uh, a little bit about first, what is a genetic counselor and how, sure. did, how did you become one and what, what, what do you actually do? Yeah, absolutely. So a genetic counselor typically has a master's degree. Um, it's a profession where we're trained to help people understand and adjust to genetic information. So whether that's a diagnosis they have themselves, maybe an elevated cancer risk caused by a gene that we'll talk about today, or even genetic risks related to pregnancy and, and reproduction. So. Yeah, and you've been um, very helpful in our practice. We've been using this test now for, I can't remember, probably 10 years, Wow, I would think. I know we started it at our old location. I know, I think a rep came in and told us about this. I'm like, we need to start doing this this afternoon. (laughs) So I think it's been at least 10 years that we've been talking to Um, really all of our patients of assessing their hereditary cancer risk. And we love working with providers like yourself who really see the value and they're really passionate about helping patients. Yeah. And so sometimes uh, it's it's been really helpful to actually have a company that has access to somebody like yourself for a genetic counselor of, I'm a little bit confused about this, because <laughs> um, sometimes we get these kind of unusual test results back of variants of undetermined significance, and what do I need to do with this, and yes. can you help me with this? And mm-hmm. so it's really nice to have a company that uh, gives us the kind of support that you give. Well, and I know that's really important to the company I work for, Myriad Genetics, just making sure that we're not just suggesting to providers that this is important, but really helping educate, make sure they understand so that they're giving that best patient care that they can. Yeah. So how how did you, uh, you got a degree in genetic counseling and um, what it, what does that look like from your standpoint? I know what it looks like from our standpoint, but... <laughs> Yeah, so the genetic counseling degree is really focused on a lot of training in, of course, genetics, but also working with people, um, counseling skills, things like that. Um, There's a lot of different components with clinical and coursework and things like that. And then I did my training actually here in Cincinnati at the University of Cincinnati, graduated there in 2006. And then I spent the first 13 years of my career working with high-risk pregnancies at um, Ohio State Maternal Fetal Medicine and Mount Carmel Maternal Fetal Medicine in Columbus. And then about four and a half years ago, I joined this company, Myriad Genetics, uh, when I started really working more on the hereditary cancer side and working with healthcare providers who are doing that cancer risk assessment for their patients. Yeah. So tell us about what Myriad Genetics is and what testing do they offer, and then we can dive a little deeper into 
one of the specific tests that we're going to talk about today, but I know they do a lot of things. They do. They do. Yes. Myriad Genetics, as the name implies, is a genetic testing precision medicine company. Uh, We'll talk today about the Myrisk hereditary cancer test, uh, but Myriad also offers some genetic carrier screening and non-invasive prenatal screening to look at reproductive risks for pregnant patients. Uh, They offer a product called GeneSight, which looks at the way the body metabolizes certain medications related to mental health. And then there's a variety of other products as well specific to kind of tumor profiling, cancers themselves, cancer treatment focused. Oh, okay. I wasn't familiar with that aspect (laughs) of it since I'm not actually treating cancer, but more on a preventative side. Um, So this is a test, like I said, we've been offering our patients for 10 years, but can you talk about um, what the test is for genetic um, cancer screening? Yes. Um, So there's a couple pieces to it. So there's the MIRISC hereditary cancer test. Basically what that test does is it looks at 48 different cancer genes that are linked with 11 different types of cancer. So breast cancer is a really common one that we talk about, but there's also genes that are linked with colon cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, et cetera. And so they look at these 48 different genes to see, are there any changes or mutations in that gene that basically breaks the gene and causes some increased cancer risks? And so those results will come back and let patients know, based on their family history, do they have a higher risk? Do they have a lower risk? Most patients, fortunately, don't have gene mutations. Um, Only about 5 to 10% of patients who do the test will come back positive for a gene mutation. We can talk a little more about what that means. Um, But for those patients who don't have gene mutations, a lot of women out there are still interested in understanding their risk for breast cancer. So the other piece, in addition to looking at those genes, is actually looking at some breast cancer risk models that factor in other risk factors like just your family history, maybe some hormone factors that you've been exposed to, maybe your breast density, all those things can play into a woman's lifetime breast cancer risk. Um, So we'll also look at those and give patients a five-year and lifetime breast cancer risk so they know how to be managed most appropriately. So you mentioned that currently this test looks at 48 different genes. I don't think it started out as this. Did it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, did it start out just looking at two genes, the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 gene that a lot of people might be familiar with because I think Angelina Jolie had one of those the gene mutations? Yes, yes. So BRCA1 and 2 were kind of the first cancer-associated genes that were discovered somewhere in the range of about 30 years ago now. Um, So those have been out the longest. And then we've discovered over time there were some specific genes that were linked with colon cancer. Um, Myriad had, I believe, the first panel genetic test where instead of saying, okay, let's look at this gene first or this gene next, just say, hey, let's look at a bunch of genes at once and see what we can figure out. And I believe that original panel was 25 genes. And then it's expanded a little bit from there as we've learned more. We've discovered more cancer associations with different genes, as well as just figuring out how to manage some of those. We want to make sure the information we're finding and giving to you and your patients is something that you can actually act on. Yeah. And it's cha- and what's what's really nice is as a provider, we get a really detailed explanation because some of these genes, you know, I may have never heard of before. Like mm-hmm. recently, <laughs> um, I did a hysterectomy on somebody that had something called an APC gene, and I had never heard of that gene. I'm not even sure if that's the right name, but um, I think that sounds right. It started with an A, but Possibly. Um, but anyway, um, it put her at risk for multiple different cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was really life changing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, I guess let's back up is who would consider having this test done? Is this a test that everybody should have done or who would who's a candidate for genetic testing? I know in our practice, we have a specific protocol we follow mm -hmm. to to target those people and make sure we're not missing them. But uh, for our audiences. Yeah, that's a great question. So genetic testing is not necessarily something that everyone needs to pursue. The main things that we look at are your family history. There are certain red flags that we might see in a family history that tell us who has a higher chance of carrying one of these gene mutations. So a lot of people I think recognize if I have multiple cancers in my family, if I have three relatives with breast cancer or three relatives with colon cancer, hey, maybe this could be genetic. Let's do genetic testing. A lot of people may not realize that certain cancers, it just takes one. So one breast cancer in a relative under age 50 is enough to qualify someone for genetic testing. Breast cancer is common, but it shouldn't be happening that early. Um, or ovarian cancer, for example, ovarian cancer is pretty rare, only about 1% of people develop ovarian cancer. And so if you have a relative with ovarian cancer at any age, that makes you a candidate for genetic testing. Yeah. Anybody who had um, a male breast cancer in, in the family, yep. like that's also really unusual. There are. And there's some specific criteria related to prostate cancer and pancreatic cancer and things as well. But I think what's so helpful as what you said in your office is you have a tool that you use. A lot of providers will use a form or a digital tool that really helps to figure out, OK, there's lots of nuances with the family history. Help me understand who I need to be talking to about this genetic right. testing. And what I love about Miri, because sometimes it does get confusing. Like, like you said, those are like automatic tip offs that, you know, as a, a doctor, when I see a patient that had a mother with ovarian cancer, that's somebody I'm always going to talk to about um, genetic screening. But sometimes it gets a little confusing of, you know, I had a mother with breast cancer, I had an aunt with breast cancer, of like, uh, like, is this person a candidate or not? And Myriad has a great tool where the patient could just fill out online, uh, put the information out and it and put the ages in and it spits out of is this person a candidate or not? Mm hmm. Yes, I'm so glad to hear you find that helpful. <laughs> it's so helpful. So, because sometimes it's a little confusing with these or, or these other cancers that, um, like you mentioned, pancreatic cancer or other cancer history, where there's a lot of cancers, but are they genetic? Because some cancers, like cervical cancer, isn't a genetic right. risk factor. It's more related to HPV. Yes, so. exactly. So uh, once we find out if somebody is a candidate or not, what is the next step? So the next step is typically having a conversation with the patient and letting that patient know, hey, I see these concerns in your family history, and I really need this additional level of risk assessment to understand your risk so that I know how to take care of you. Um, there are certainly going to be patients out there who are a little gun shy about the idea of genetic testing, can sound a little intimidating. They're not sure what's involved. Typically, it's a simple blood test or saliva test, so nothing too invasive. Um, but there's a fear of what are these results going to tell me? Is it just this cancer? or destiny that we can't do anything about. And I think what patients don't realize is there's a lot of tools that we have to reduce your risk for cancer. So if we know you're at a higher risk, there are interventions we can do. We can do screening earlier. We can do screening more frequently to either prevent it, catch it early, really make sure that we're maximizing yeah. your health. So it doesn't necessarily mean like 
you know, I don't want this test because I'm not going to have a mastectomy. So what's the point of doing that test? It (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean you have to do that. Absolutely not. There is no recommendation out there. Even if you have the very high risk gene mutation with BRCA1, there's up to an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer with that gene. And even for that highest risk gene, the guidelines still don't say, you should go out and have a mastectomy. They say you should offer that to your patient as one of the things on their menu of options, but a lot of patients are perfectly content just doing extra screening. I'm gonna do a mammogram and a breast MRI every year, and if something happens, we're gonna catch it early, and that's perfectly fine. So you mentioned with um, the BRCA1 what your lifetime risk of breast cancer is, 87%. If if somebody doesn't have the gene, at least what I tell my patients is about 12% of people get breast cancer mm-hmm. in their lifetime. So if you do have that gene, you're going from a risk of 12% to 87% risk with a BRCA1 gene. Yes, it's a huge jump. And that's why it's so important to know, because if you have a patient sitting in front of you with a 12% risk and another patient with up to 87% risk, you're going to take care of those patients very differently. And really, the only way to know who's who is to get that genetic result. Maybe one patient has a strong family history, and so you imagine their risk is a little bit higher, but it's hard to really know for sure without having that genetic yeah. information. What's the risk with um, the BRCA2 gene? Oh, gosh. So the breast cancer risk with the BRCA2 gene, I think, is up to 84%. So it's very high. The ovarian cancer is where the risks are a little bit different. So with BRCA1, ovarian cancer is over 60% risk. But with BRCA2, I want to say it's 24 27, don't quote, it's lower. Okay. <laughs> um, and similarly, like we brought up male breast cancer earlier. Uh, male breast cancer is notably higher with BRCA2. It's in that 6% range, whereas with BRCA1, it's not quite as high. And the pink or the prostate cancer risk is higher with BRCA2. So every gene's a little bit different, but like you said, on the test result, we really spell out for you what are the cancer risks, how high are those risks, and what do societal guidelines say you should do in terms of screening and managing your patients? Yeah, so what are some of those things other than having a mastectomy if you do come back with one of these genes that puts you at significantly increased risk of breast cancer, what are some of the choices? Yeah, absolutely. So I think most of the management falls under kind of three buckets. So there's the screening bucket, things like breast cancer and colon cancer, we have really good screenings for them. So if we know you're at very high risk for one of those cancers, maybe we'll start your mammograms when you're 30 and we'll start breast MRIs when you're 25 instead of waiting until you're 40. Uh, Maybe we'll start colonoscopies for you when you're 20 or 25 and do them every year instead of waiting until you're 45 or 50 to get started on those. So screening is a really big one. Unfortunately, not all cancers have good screenings. So there's also ovarian cancer, for example, where we don't have great screening tools. And so for patients who have a really high risk for ovarian cancer based on their genetic result, there actually is more of a recommendation to consider getting your ovaries surgically removed once you reach a certain age and you're finished having children. As I'm sure you know, ovarian cancer is typically picked up late and doesn't have a great prognosis because of those poor screening. And so really the only tool we have is to prevent that altogether by getting those ovaries out. Um, And then there's also some um, cancers where medications can help reduce the risk. Um, Aspirin has been shown to reduce some colon cancer risk. Something as simple as an oral contraceptive can reduce ovarian cancer risk. So there's a lot of really easy things that providers can do and talk to patients about that don't involve surgery or anything like that. Right. Or even pre-med or pre-surgery for somebody that has ovarian cancer, if they get tested at a young age, maybe they want to consider um, 
pelvic ultrasounds, which, you know, again, it's not it's not mm-hmm. a great test, but at least it's something that you can be doing until you've completed childbearing and consider having your ovaries removed. Exactly. So what is the process? We, as practitioners or physicians, we identify somebody who might be a candidate for this. We talk to them about the pros and cons of having this test done, um, and they say they want to do it. Um, you, you mentioned it could be a blood test or a take-home saliva test. Um, I personally like to do blood tests. I think it's um, we usually get the genetic material versus sometimes I think there's some downsides of doing saliva tests, but if somebody didn't want to get blood tests, it's certainly an option. Yep. Yeah, it's an option. And when they work, they're both equally accurate and equally valid. There's just some nuances with the saliva test. If someone's been eating, drinking, chewing gum, it can contaminate things. And so there's a little bit higher chance of not being able to get clean DNA for the testing. But when it works, it's just as accurate as blood. Yeah. So we send the specimen to your company. And then what about insurance coverage? Is this something that's covered by insurance? That is a fantastic question. And it has come a very long way over time. So I think a lot of patients hear genetic testing and they think thousands thousands of dollars. dollars. (laughs) And that hasn't been my experience taking care of patients. Um, And back in the day, it was, but insurance companies have really seen the light. They absolutely recognize that preventing cancer is infinitely cheaper than treating cancer. And so actually as part of the Affordable Care Act, BRCA genetic testing is considered a preventive care service. Meaning if you have one of those qualifying family histories, young breast cancer, ovarian cancer, et cetera, that is considered preventive care where it's not subject to your deductible, copay. So the majority of patients who do this testing actually don't pay anything for it. Um, that being said, there are nuances to everyone's insurance plan out there. And so Myriad has a lot of processes in place to help with financial assistance um, or even a reduced cost option for patients. Yeah, that's been my experience as well mm-hmm. as most people Good. don't pay anything. Um, and I think the logistics, I don't know if you get into the logistics of this, but at least at this point in time, I think the logistics are we send the blood and then Myriad actually contacts the patient within the next couple of days and lets them know what their out-of-pocket is going to be. Yes, we ping their insurance plan, kind of see where they're at with their deductible, see what their family history is and if they qualify, and then patients receive an email and or text message with their personalized cost estimate that they can respond to. Hopefully it says zero dollars, but if not, there's a lot of options built into that email where they can follow up to try to reduce that cost. Yeah. And so when we get the report back, um, it will either say, is there a genetic mutation or no, there are not any genetic mutations found. But Um, We also talked about that this test, not only does it look at genes, but it also does this risk analysis. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yes. So as we talked about, most patients don't have gene mutations. So let's say you have a patient who had an aunt with breast cancer at 45. Breast cancer under 50 qualifies. You send her sample in. We sequence all those genes. No gene mutations. Wonderful. We've ruled a lot of things out patient probably still wants to know what's my chance of breast cancer. And so we're able to factor in that family history of the aunt with the age of diagnosis. You and your staff also fills out lots of other super valuable information on the paperwork for us. Like at what age did the patient start having periods? Have they been on hormone replacement therapy? How many sisters and daughters and aunts do they have? And all kinds of different hormone related factors that also play into a woman's breast cancer risk. Myriad just recently started incorporating breast density as well. And so we factor all those different things together along with some genetic markers that we look at in the sample um, to give the patient something called a risk 
risk score, which is basically what is your lifetime risk for breast cancer based on all these other factors. You don't have a gene mutation, but you still have your personal hormone profile and your family history. And what we look at there is if the risk is over 20%, there are some guidelines that suggest that patient should maybe get some additional breast cancer screening beyond her annual mammogram, such as the breast MRI, for example. What if somebody is adopted and they don't know their family history, but are interested in having this test? That is a fantastic question because we talk about risk stratification and the importance of understanding your patient's risk. Your adopted patients have the biggest black box of risk out there. They know nothing. And so I think this is a great option for those patients. The drawback is all of the insurance coverage criteria are written to family history. So the bottom line is if you don't have a family history we can recommend or that we can look at to, to guide things, insurance is probably not going to cover the test. That being said, for patients who still want that information, most labs out there that do this type of testing all have a very reasonable cash pay price that patients might be able to opt into to get that information outside of their insurance plan. Um, obviously, prices change all the time, but uh, as we sit here in 2023, can, are you able to say like what the cash price is out of pocket? I'm honestly not sure if I'm allowed to or supposed to or not, but I'll say it's in the couple hundred dollar range. Yeah, it's reasonable. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think from my standpoint, I think it was in the $300 range. So um, at least that's what I've been told when this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's even a little bit less than that now. Oh, okay. Yep. When the situation arises. <laughs> um, anything else we should tell our patients about breast cancer genetic testing? You know, I think the most important thing is just encouraging patients to talk to their family members and understand their family history. Um, some patients know a lot about their family history and some patients don't know as much. So just having those conversations with your family to understand what's going on and then having those conversations with your healthcare provider so that they can really act on that information and, yeah. and figure that out. I really think knowledge is power. Um, and like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have surgery, but it really um, alters the way we may do certain screenings. And and I really think mm -hmm. that that knowledge is power. And uh, in my experience, when we identify patients that are at increased risk, I can't remember a time where uh, somebody didn't want to have this test done, um, especially now that insurance coverage has, has mm -hmm. just changed so drastically for yeah. this test in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, and I think when patients hear from their provider that this is important information for me to have, I need this to know how to take care of you, that can, that can really resonate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I think this is something that can really empower um not just not just women, but men also um, in our practice when, um, you know, sometimes we talk to patients about it and they say, you know, what? my my husband actually has this as well. Uh, in our practice, uh, we do see men in our practice because this isn't a test just for women. That is absolutely true. Men are just as likely to carry these gene mutations and just as likely to pass them on. And so it's true a man with a BRCA gene mutation doesn't have a risk of ovarian cancer because he doesn't have ovaries, um, but he might still have an elevated risk of prostate cancer, male breast cancer, pass it on to his daughters. So when healthcare providers are looking at their family histories and patients are asking about their family histories, don't just ask about mom's side. Make sure to ask about dad's side as well. It counts right. just the same. And chances are these tests are going to come out negative. And I think there's a lot of reassurance is as a mother, if my genes are negative, at least my children couldn't get that gene from me. So if there isn't mm -hmm. that history in, in 
uh, the father of the children, then, you know, it, it kind of ends there. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. There are people who do the testing because they see the value for themselves. And there are people who would really rather not know for themselves, but they do it for their children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I think this is great information and knowledge is power. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.